Lead, lead, lead. What is happening? Welcome to Working Hours, a show about a place called Leeds, a time called Now, and an activity called Work. Working Hours wants to record 1,000 loiners over the course of this, the most important decade in the history of the human species, and ask them what they do all day and hear how they feel about it. My name is Simon, and this is all my fault. What did you want to be when you grew up? Uh, I wanted to be loads of different things, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think I am. My earliest memory of thinking about what I wanted to be was looking at my parents and thinking, I don't understand what they do. Looks like it might be boring. What is an, what's a mad thing that I could be doing? And the only thing I could come up with at that time was like a hot air balloon driver. <laughs> <laughs> obviously, it's so irrelevant to what I do. Or, But I think what my brain was trying to think of is what else is there? Or mm. what, what's different or what's exciting. Yeah. Um, so I think I always held on to a little bit of just looking for something that felt a little bit different that I knew must exist, but I couldn't quite see. Um, so I kind of started with that thinking. And then I thought originally I might want to do something with children. Mm-hmm. Um, my parents also worked with children and I just love kids. And then I had a kind of epiphany when I went to my first music festival mm. where I just found it so incredibly exciting not just the actual experience but just seeing people who are working on it thinking what are they doing what's this backstage business mm. um so kind of drifted into events and the kind of backstage world um and then yeah I, I mean I've had so many different career changes so I feel like the most recent kind of career that I'm branching into is film. And that was definitely kind of sparked by just the love of watching old movies at home alone on TCM channel. So yeah, I think that's the kind of route generally that I've taken, but it's been a bit of a mismatch. What was the festival? Oh God. First festival, Leeds Fest. Was it? Yeah, the classic. (laughs) I mean, it's on your doorstep, though. Well, yeah, well, I was in Liverpool, so. All right, okay. Yeah. So was that what drew you to Leeds? It was coming to a festival and now it's you've ended up here. The first time, yeah. I came to Leeds a couple of times. I came to see Daft Punk mm. as well. That was kind of, it's always it was always big events that brought me here, really. Was that the Harewood House one? No, it was, um, oh, it was the festival. Was it a Wireless Festival? It was. Right, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 With the, the amazing one with the pyramid. Oh, my God. You know, yeah. I couldn't believe, I mean, that's probably, awesome. it's one of the last times that they were touring, wasn't it? And yeah. we were all in tears. Very emotional. It was <laughs> phenomenal. We met this, like, we were in a group and we met this uh, Japanese woman that was sort of there on her own. And we we're all like, oh, you know, we're being protective of her and stuff. And then um, Daft Punk came on and she had this big coat on and she just, threw it off and she's in this like tiny disco outfit and she just goes <laughs> mental and it was like wow that was a good start to this um yeah that was a great gig yeah and it was really easy to get home from as well for me so that was a total bonus yeah that's a weird <laughs> and I remember even just the weather it was sunny all day and then there was yeah. a light rain that fell mm. when Daft Punk came out it was just at the right time we were all heating up the mm. whole thing magic I mean to be honest with you it was a big debate within our group whether we should go so we had an A-level the next day <laughs> and I remember us weighing up to ourselves and thinking, okay, what do we think we'd regret more? You know, maybe doing a bit badly on this 1A level or not seeing Daft Punk. And yeah. definitely made the right choice. You definitely did, yeah. yeah, yeah. 
Hello loves, it's bloody hot, isn't it? I was going to do a whole thing, but it's hot, isn't it? Um, whose fault's that, eh? Well, all of ours. Um, you're listening to Series 3, Episode 17, and to my guest, Mosa Mpeta. This is another Zoom interview, recorded on the 10th of June, 2022. Uh, so I was going to do a whole bit about Louis Le Prince, and about the first images at Roundy Park and Roundy Park's 150th anniversary and then Hyde Park opening up just 26 years after the first moving images were made in Leeds. But it's too hot. So who do we have this week then? Mosa Mpeta works for Hyde Park Picture House and is on the Scalarama Leeds team. She runs pop-up DIY screenings as Iconic Presents she does freelance film programming under her own name or sometimes as Black Cinema Project, an initiative that she set up last year during the lockdown. Within her role at Hyde Park Picture House, she works with people, organisations, charities and so on outside of the cinema to curate interesting film events that are mutually beneficial. Mosa is passionate about film and using film as a tool to discuss, learn and make change. One example of this sort of activity is the collaboration with Leeds African Communities Trust, where she's developing a new permanent African film strand for Hyde Park Picture House called Cinema Africa. I say if you have never seen an African film, then you should. And what's more, now you easily can. All the usual like, share, support, help out, uh, listen, review, rate, do all of that, please. And uh, yeah enjoyed this episode so what is it that you are doing now so i i kind of have my feet in two different sectors at the moment uh i i've been working for the last seven eight years in children's theater um for a company called tutti frutti based in hair hills which is fantastic we make work to perform two children aged three to seven and uh, it's a glorious job and then more recently i've kind of got my other thoughts in another sector which is in film and this one's very much developing i feel like i feel like i'm in the right place at the right time you know it feels like it's happening at once it's all very exciting but i do film programming so that'll be kind of pop-up screenings that i'll do myself i i do some work in the scalarama leads team which is kind of a diy pop-up screening festival and I also work for Hyde Park Picture House in Leeds in the Hyde Park area in as the creative engagement officer and essentially in that role it's really great it's a bit of an amalgamation of all the kind of community-based screening stuff I was doing but doing it as part of an organization and I just work with anyone external to the cinema and we work together to come up with interesting events so it might be charities it might be football clubs it could be community groups mm -hmm. so it's kind of saying hey this is what i see what you're doing is there something we could do with you that's film related that might support your activity mm -hmm. so it's great it's kind of film activity that's meaningful and helpful and it's collaborative mm. i'm well jealous <laughs> it is a bit of a dreamy job <laughs> so uh, i mean what 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 fills most of your time then out of that is it really kind of 
do you get quite a balance with them or is it once kind of taking up more time or um i mean because i was a freelancer for so many years doing events related stuff i've been i'm quite good at compartmentalizing mm. so that was a really big thing that i had to do you know marking out days or weeks you know that are carved out to different responsibilities and you should see my diary it's like a color coded mm. nightmare and uh, <laughs> at the minute i've got quite a sharp division between the week so the first half of the week is the children's theater work and then the latter half of the week and it bleeds into the weekend is the cinema related stuff mm. which lends itself quite well because cinema can be a night activity you know weekends and the children's work is daytime you yeah. know so i've kind of got a quite good pattern at the moment um but I mean, as I said, things are going really well. So I'm doing quite a lot of extra activity, you know, of curated a uh, five film program for a film festival in Bristol called Cine- Cinema Rediscovered, which is great. It's kind of in my Hyde Park work, but it's also kind of my own stuff. So there's a lot of squeezing things in, you know, in the, like trying to hold meetings immediately after work, a bit before work, mm. lunch times. Mm. Life is busy at the minute but you know a good busy yeah good yeah cool i'm thinking of like shall we go down the how did you get into it route but then you you kind of alluded to some of it so i'm thinking maybe it might be better to just kind of go straight into lockdown and sort of see where you were and then yeah you know sort of the before and after yeah um so generally the COVID question is kind of to take people back into that. And I, I want to, I want you to think of just before the lockdown, like where you were, what you were doing then, mm. then as the lockdown happened for you yeah, uh, and that, that initial sort of few days, few weeks, um, what was happening then and sort of like, you know, coming out the other side, what, what has changed for you? You know, have there been permanent changes? Are they for the better or the worse uh, kind of thing? So, yeah, uh, take us through lockdown. Yes. Okay. So I'd say, I mean, it sticks to film as the kind of the where I was. But my God, right before I was flying with regards to the amount of stuff that I was putting on, I kind of really got into the swing of um, putting on film events. I just, that, that September to December period, 2019, I just put on a, a big film program called Fussy in Film, which was funded by Leeds Inspired and had several partners and essentially just screened all of Bob Fossey's films, bar one, which is a bit of a dodgy film. It's Star 80. Oh, I haven't seen that. Yeah, it's very violent. Right. So okay. it's kind of a little bit of a left turn from all the work that he did, but it I can't watch it, so I wasn't yeah. going to screen it. Yeah, fair enough. Um, but all this other stuff, the other jazz hands is music theatre. Uh, I'd screened all of those films. I, I was just so pleased with myself. You know, I'd got funding. I'd kind of promoted it. I was working with loads of different partners and venues. That was great. And I'd just done that. And I was just starting to do um, kind of some watch-along screenings with a friend of mine, Samra Mayanja. Uh watching early African film and so we, I was just in a point where I was kind of thinking oh what's my next project you know where am I going to go next with this and then the start of 2020 happened and I guess it put an immediate full stop onto the idea of thinking about projects I guess actually I probably 
had some hope and I probably thought I might do something again the next September in the Scalarama Festival. Because obviously we just didn't know, did we? We didn't know how long it was going to last. Or So I think I was maybe thinking ahead a little bit, but was mostly just kind of thinking, okay, events have stopped. So my activity has stopped. Mm-hmm. What did get born out of that moment was the African film watching I was doing with Sam Ram. We kind of, we kind of leaned into that more intensively, mm-hmm. uh, virtually with each other. So that had all kind of started where I was deep diving more into that kind of film because I realized, oh my God, I, I didn't even realize that early African cinema existed. And because my interest is early cinema, so I was kind of relating to it and I was feeling quite culturally stimulated. So I was trying to find these films. And as I was watching them, I realized they're so nuanced and complex and layered that I needed to talk about it. Because mm-hmm. I'm a talker, I find it hard to just process stuff in my head. I need somebody next to me to kind of go, oh, what do you think about this? Blah, blah, blah. So suss out how I'm feeling. So me and Samra started watching and talk about these stale films and thinking, oh, you know, maybe whilst we're in this period of not being able to be together physically, maybe we extend our watching together and kind of curate um, black spaces to watch these films that are online. So that was the start of something that we did called Black Cinema Project, mm-hmm. which was essentially bringing together exclusively black people in an online space weekly on a Sunday to watch a film together and then just have a really deep conversation, which was more geared around being able to bring your lived experience, to be able to talk about um, how you really feel about a film. Because we recognize that the majority of film spaces that we were in were majority white. And when you watch a black film in a white space amongst white people, it's really hard to kind of articulate your exact feelings about the film because you're worried about feeling representative. Everyone's looking to you like, what did you think? And I'm like, uh, <laughs> I spoke to a black person about this film and they said this, so I now know. <laughs> That's it. And it's like, you feel like you're kind of like, have to tap into the black hive mind. Like, what is everybody thinking about this film? Like, I mean, just, we, we realized, okay, let's actually just make a space for us to talk about it really honestly. And it was just glorious. It kind of, it birthed from a one initial three-week series we did. We kind of curated, or which was focused on early African work classics. And then we decided to do a second, I think it was a six-week part season you know which was more delving into from the outside looking in and more philosophical elements to philosophical is how you say that word (laughs) elements to uh uh film and yeah the meaning behind it so it was just glorious there was uh it was a it was a weekly space we could just be together when we're all very isolated Mm. and then on top of that obviously there was all of the trauma that was happening in 2020 Mm. with regards to the murder of George Floyd and then the repercussions following Mm. so it also just became a really gorgeous safe space yeah yeah, yeah. be together in it was a bit twofold and that was quite accidental so I think it felt like a really um, timely thing to be doing at that moment in time. And we pushed on with that for about a year and a half, maybe two years over that COVID period. Um, 
at, brilliantly more film festivals started putting their stuff online. Mm-hmm. So we really maximize that. There's an amazing film festival called Africa in Motion based in Scotland, mm-hmm. which started having all of its program online in October. So that was just fantastic. It meant that we spoke to the festival. They gave us some free tickets. So we took our Black Cinema Project group. We did virtual kind of school trips, you know, to watch their films and then discuss them. So it just felt like the right thing to be doing at that moment. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the other thing, I guess, actually, that we were doing is the Scalarama Leeds team, which is a collection of people who will volunteer their time for free, who are passionate about film and community screenings. We kind of all really bonded together as a group and did weekly watch-alongs every Thursday, sometimes twice a week. And it was just a really gorgeous uh, friendship group, essentially, and kind of checking in with each other. And just watching really ridiculous threads of films. We were going, okay, like, let's pick, uh, let's start to look into Westerns. You know, what Westerns are good? Let's go down this thread. So, you know, all just thinking different themes. And so, yeah, it felt like film at that point remained pertinent into what I was doing, but just molded and changed and became a little bit of a support mechanism as well. And then I guess coming out of that, it was, it was weird because I started to delve more and more into looking at film activism. Uh, what, why was it hard to find certain early African films? What, why do we not know they exist? Um, what are the challenges to African filmmakers? You know, we started to delve into more of those questions and I started participating more with um, online film events, you know, like conferences, the kind of things that just normally be happening mm-hmm. in London or, you know, yeah. or, Q and A's and talks. Yeah, exactly. Getting to know the sector through their little photos on Zoom, Mm -hmm. having conversations and chats and just kind of thinking, oh, you know, I'm really quite committed and into this. But now as we're coming out of it, it's kind of thinking, oh gosh, you know, what does it look like? What what does the other side of this look like? This Mm -hmm. this kind of branching into the wider film sector when we've never actually met anyone properly. Mm -hmm. So Every event I've been to since has just been amazing. <laughs> and you finally get to meet people that you've been talking mm. to for so long. And I feel like that's why things are, at the minute feels like are happening pretty quickly because groundwork's been laid and conversations have been had. And then a the minute I have get to meet someone offhand in an event, it feels like, okay, great. Well, let's do this thing together. You know, there's a lot of energy, it feels like at the yeah. moment. Um, yeah. And it also it is just weird in general for cinemas coming out of the COVID yeah. periods. I mean, when I first got the job at Hyde Park Picture House, it was last July. Mm-hmm. So we were, I don't know what even was happening at that point, what we were kind of coming out of it. We were, we weren't, you know, back and I forth. mean, I would say open because I mean, the, all the refurbs going on. So mm. did it, open it all through lockdown or no so weird like fortuitously and not the cinema was due to close around about spring 2020 anyway for the refurb so in a way it was kind of set up and ready to not be functioning you know in the same way but there was supposed to be off-site activity going on yeah, yeah, yeah. so it kind of it put an extra year onto the timeline of the redevelopment so the cinema itself has been uh, received funding from National Heritage Lottery Fund 
to redevelop the building. It's basically not accessible. Mm. You know, it's, it was made, built in 1914. It's not really, you know, it wasn't fit for purpose in today's day and age, mm. especially with the kind of inclusive activity that the cinema wants to be doing. So mm. it's brilliant that we've got an extension being put on and uh, there'll be lifts throughout stairs um, and a second screen in the basement. Mm. So an intimate 50 seater. Uh, which just means that the program could be expanded. There's less pressure on the yeah. bigger screen. Um, and yeah, I think it, I mean, it's not going to be massive. It's still a confined space. Yeah. You know, it's still kind it's of. still Hyde Park. Yeah, it's still Hyde Park. It's <laughs> still in an incredibly residential area in the mm. corner of, you know, it's still next door to a house. So there's only so much it'll expand, but it just means there's more flexibility with regards to the kind of activity that can happen. So no, when I started in the job, there still wasn't a cinema. Mm. (laughs) Still never worked in the building. You haven't been in the building? No. Oh my God. Like, because it's such a, like, I mean, that cinema is so important to Leeds and, and so important to me as well. Like, you know, sort of when I was about, 18 uh 17 18 and reservoir dogs was like failing to come out onto video yeah they were running it like every friday night and so many nights we went in there you know just Mm. watching it and it was great when you'd be sit sitting near someone who it was the first time they'd seen it and they didn't know anything about it and they're like oh my god oh what's happening and you're just like how did you not know about any of this Yeah, yeah yeah um yeah and i've just watched so many films there um, I remember like, cause the film festival's based out of there, isn't it? Normally. Well, yeah. Um, one of the venues. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Um, and I saw Ingrid Pitt there after a screening of, um, I'm going to get the name wrong. It's not, it wasn't the twins of evil one. It was the other one. Um, oh my God, my brain's gone blank anyway. Yeah. So, uh, I was going <laughs> to ask you before we move on, I'm going to ask you, we've been talking like around films and African cinema and so on. Yeah. So first of all, I want to go, uh, like, so how far back are we talking in terms of early African cinema? Yeah. And second question in that is, um, drop some names. So what what films have you watched within either the groups or whatever? Like, yeah. what are kind of standouts or things that sure. are noteworthy, that like, yeah. you know, just the top ones? Yeah, no. Just for a second, I just want to clarify, I have watched films in High Pop Picture House. I just haven't worked. Yeah. <laughs> I realise that might sound really weird. <laughs> Never been. But yeah, so, okay. When I'm talking about African cinema, um, the first film that I saw, which kind of clocked, made me realise that there is early work. It was a film from 72, I think it was, 1972, called Wend Cooney. Is it 72? 74 it's early 70s i believe and set in burkina faso and it's just a beautiful film which was set in a a rural village life so it's kind of it's a family drama essentially and the thing that really impacted me about it was it wasn't about starvation it wasn't about war it wasn't Mm. about colonization it wasn't about aids you know it was Mm. kind of just family drama in a really rural village setting. So I think that was the thing that struck me is all the images that I'd seen of African film experience on film was always very specifically about trauma and struggle Mm. and from a white perspective. Mm. 
So when I'm talking about early cinema, there's, there is film activity that's been happening on the continent for a really, really, really long time. Mm. But obviously due to colonization and barriers in that way, it meant that there was less access to filmmaking. So there is some activity that happened pre-liberation um, in mm. different countries, mm. depending on what their situations were. Mm. And that's really exciting. And you kind of can find that kind of work. But the bulk of the work that I see is post-liberation mm. and especially in the transitional period. Mm -hmm. So what makes African cinema interesting to me is, and what makes it nuanced in layers is quite often film was being made um, as activism. So it's kind of saying, it's, imagine it's in the 60s, there's lots of kind of guerrilla warfare going on. There's a lot of um, resistance activity getting ready to overthrow the colonizers. Film is then being used as a tool to promote these messages, but also has to be hidden under uh, a story. Mm. So it means when you're watching a film that is about the family dynamic and maybe the head of the family is problematic, maybe it's reflecting on the leadership of the time being problematic. So that's why it was really important to me to kind of dissect these films and really treat them with care and not, it's not sat in the cinema shoving popcorn in your mouth, kind of, you know, wow, wow, car crash, <laughs> you know, it's, it's kind of, oh, what is this saying? What is this film telling me? Because it is telling me something. Mm. So that's what I find particularly interesting about African cinema is it's, it's meaty. It's the stuff mm. going on. And I know we can say that about other film. I'm not saying that's exclusively an African mm -hmm. thing. You know, South America as well is really big on that kind of, they, mm. they call it um, third cinema, mm -hmm. um, some people. And it's essentially that kind of film that's geared around activism and resistance. Mm. So examples, um, the, that first um, season that Samra and I did for Black Cinema Project when we did African kind of classics, the first film we did was a film called Yilin by Suleiman Sise, which is a Malian film, which is set in the, I think it's the 13th century that it's set in, uh, made in the, oh God. I can never remember the actual years. Again, I think it's early 70s, late 60s. Is it? Yeah. Anyway, I'm not going to get distracted with that. Um, and it's beautiful because it's, it's really digging into history. It's essentially kind of based around a fable or a story. It's storytelling. Mm. So, and it's, it's a really beautifully stunning. The imagery on it is stunning and it's, it's kind of really nourishing because it's looking at African history and legend and tale. And it's also got mythicism in it. And it's, it's just, it's quite, it's quite surreal, beautiful masterpiece. Amazing. It is being restored um, again and will be kind of relaunched, I guess, into the international circuit um, because of this new restoration. The second film we showed in that season was a film called Sambazanga which was made in 1972. I do know that. And that's an Angolan film. Well, all about the Angolan revolution. And it's made by filmmaker Sarah Moldorora, who sadly passed away due to COVID a couple of years ago. And her story is kind of what's really got me really interested in 
the neo-colonialism behind film rights. So kind of who owns the films? Who takes away the ownership from the filmmakers? Where do they keep it? Why can't we get it? So her story is she'd made this film, Sambazanga, absolute classic of African cinema about a woman trying to go locate her husband after he was stolen by the authorities because he was uh, doing a revolutionary activity. Mm. It's all about her trying to find him. It's all from the perspective of the, the underground nature of revolutionary activity. So from the woman's perspective, the elderly, the children, the wider network of people who are involved, really radical. It's brilliant. And this film was lost. Sarah and her daughters were trying to get the film back so they could get it restored. Mm -hmm. And it turns out this old French guy has it in his basement and he's just like, no, I'm just not going to give it to you. <laughs> you know, and you're like, why? Why? Because <laughs> I, I can. <laughs> yeah, I just don't want it. You know? <laughs> and I think they say, you know, oh, it's too expensive for me to kind of go get or restore. And they're like, no, we'll, we'll, we're going to, yeah. we're going to do that. We'll do everything. <laughs> but there's just these weird barriers that are in place. So eventually they, uh, they were working with uh, the Chinateca in Bologna, which is a restoration center. Mm -hmm to try and fight for this. And then eventually they had to call Scorsese, Martin Scorsese, who has something called the Film Foundation, which mm -hmm. is committed to finding world cinema and restoring mm -hmm. it and bringing it back into the public eye. And got Scorsese, get on the phone with this French dude, you know. Yeah, he's, he's not going to mess about with that, is he? <laughs> you know He'd be telling him straight away. Exactly. <laughs> so then they got the film back, they've restored it. And now Anushka, the daughter, is like taking it around the world, different places. And again, it's got a redistribution. So it's films, I just find it so exciting when films get the opportunity to be restored, brought back to life, and then talked about in a new way. Mm. And that's what the Chinateca does in Bologna is they were restoring these films and they particularly try and focus on films where the filmmaker's still alive. Mm. So then they get to be invited to the festival. And these filmmakers go, oh my God, you know, I didn't realize there's still an audience for the mm. film that I've made, you know, kind of 50 years ago. Mm. And yeah, something really magic about that. That's the kind of films that I've been looking at. Um, and I don't know, I think there's something African film. I mean, for me, I'm just kind of trying to see the things that I recognize. I'm trying to make sense of my sense of place within all of this. And yeah, I'm pretty passionate about getting more people seeing African work. Mm. Because again, I just think not just for African communities in Leeds, for example, because I am starting to screen African work in High Pop Picture House, but just for wider communities, just people to kind of go, oh, right, Africa's really developed. <laughs> or do you know what I mean? There's a range of experiences and um, things going on. Have yeah. you divided it into sort of like, have you done any kind of national cinemas? Like, have you done Burkina Faso and Uganda and Nigeria? And like, have you managed to like I, I suppose a lot of that from a curatorial sense is kind of like do i know enough titles can i find enough titles to to do this and can i get the films is the next mm. question because it's easy yeah. enough to like you're going through the research and someone's like oh that sounds really interesting and one of them then it's like nowhere yeah, <laughs> yeah, find this yeah. the amount of reading <laughs> i've got so many books and i'm just on to my right got so many books on african cinema and i read them all and go cool i want to see this this yeah. and then i'm like right where are they <laughs> <laughs> and then you start to realize 
Okay, so we know they exist because yeah. like academics have done the digging. Yeah. They might have seen little clips or they've or spoken to the filmmaker and the filmmaker said, yeah, I did this film. Who knows where that is? You know? yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's more films that are unearthed than there are that we know of, mm. you know, just in general in mm. film. Like archive film is fascinating because mm. there was such a boom in that industry, you know, mm. 1900s onwards. Um, so... A lot of film exists, mm. but it's just about finding it. It's kind of like a, I don't know. It's just a really exciting field to be in. Mm. But with regards to country by country, yeah, I find it. Yeah, it's interesting when I'm looking at the films that I'm screening in a high pop picture house. Mm. So we started something called Cinema Africa, which mm. is a new permanent film strands that will be kind of bit bigger once we reopen. Mm. Um but I've been doing some test screenings and I'm really trying to make sure that I'm showing a variety of countries and genres and experiences. Yeah. Because when I was doing a survey of the Leeds African community through our partner, Leeds African Communities Trust, mm. I was asking people about what kind of films they watched, what they know of. Mm. And everyone either knows, it seemed like people knew a classic from their country like maybe mm. one classic mm -hmm. or two and then mostly it's nigerian films yeah yeah because i mean their sector is booming they're mm. extremely successful and the most visible country with regards to their work so i'm very aware that i can't and i can't divert too much into just showing nigerian but you know there's a plethora of stuff to show but then at the same time you kind of could because like you know, as far as I know, the only way to access sort of Nollywood films is like VHS and DVDs and you have to go to a shop to get it. Mm. You know, it's not sort of in HMV or like, well, I don't even know how much it'd be on Amazon. Obviously, I have not looked. but Well, loads is the, yeah, really. <laughs> the short answer. Basically. So it's a matter of knowing where to start. Well, Netflix is really blooming smart yeah. and they've recognized that there's a huge market of people who want to watch these films because like you said we've been watching them on vhs on mm. tv channels on youtube mm. you know they're being watched so netflix has now been commissioning work in nigeria and south africa mm. and other places but they're also starting to purchase past big commercial successes of nollywoods and nigerian mm. cinema and pop mm. them on netflix so if you type in African or Nigerian now into Netflix, mm. there's loads, cool. loads and loads. And it, I mean, your algorithm will change gradually. I mean, mine's totally changed. <laughs> I'm very aware of this range of films. <laughs> Amazon, likewise, um, just more and more. So, mm. but it's when I'm digging through all of that, I'm kind of aware of all the Nigerian stuff. And then I'm trying to look, okay, what else is that? You know, what other mm. countries have managed to slip in? with this pile of films that have been put on. There's a, a film that I'd screen a Zimbabwe film called Cook Off, um, which I screened earlier this year. And it was interesting because it was on Netflix as well. And I kind of wanted to get the, uh, an impression of, would people still come to a screening, even though it's on Netflix? But basically the result is yes, they will, because it is a different experience. Yeah. Um, but that film is now the biggest Zimbabwean film because of the reach that it's had yeah, yeah. Netflix, you yeah, know, yeah. and there are, it's, it's happening gradually. Netflix is mm. buying up more of these films. Mm. So it's, you know, it's, it's, it feels like it's part of a wider energy that mm. people are more curious. And I think people are more willing to try out different stuff and also just 
African audiences are being more recognized as audiences and that they're willing to buy, basically. Yeah. yeah. Before we move on and get back to specifically work-related stuff, mm. um, like, do you think it's worth sort of spending a couple of minutes on kind of distinctions between sort of you know why african cinema over black cinema and then again like um i mean is that something that you can do separately like you know you could do jamaican cinema or mm. you know uh yeah so i'll, I'll let you answer. yeah i mean black cinema project wasn't just african work but that yeah. was uh we did an initial strand which was specifically focused on african mm-hmm. No, I'm interested in all international work, really. Mm. And when I say international, I mean the South, the East. I think um, I have a weird thing with American films where I feel a little bit like uh, I've got the limited time in the day and I'm not going to use it watching something American. Do you know what I mean? Or <laughs> something different. Something um, made for 15-year-olds in America. Basically. Yeah, do you know what I mean? But I mean, I, you know, I do watch new films like I'm I'm excited about stuff that's coming out. I've just seen everything everywhere all at once. Oh my god, it's amazing, isn't it? My mind was. <laughs> I could talk the rest of this podcast just about that film. I know we've and I know yeah we're we're using up time as well. Yeah, sorry, so it doesn't matter. No, 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 no. It's, it's fine. <laughs> but it is amazing. It's amazing. Oh my god, everyone watched that film. It's incredible. Best one of the best cinema experiences I've ever had. I was weeping the whole way yeah. through, and there was and laughing hysterically. I'm laughing. There was this old guy sat next to me who was equally just crying his eyes out yeah. the whole way through. And my God. Yeah. Anyway, um, yeah, I I watch all film. Do you know what I mean? I don't think the the reason I specify African in this sense is because I think if you can specify, you should. Mm-hmm. So I think when we say black things, you know, I mm-hmm. think it's worthwhile mm-hmm. saying, what do we mean by that? Mm-hmm. You know, and there is a space for all different types, you know, of film and black film. But if I'm going to, when I'm doing this work with Leeds African Communities Trust, I'm looking at African cinema specifically. Do you know what I mean? However, within that, there is also space to look at diaspora cinema. So because obviously there are Africans everywhere, you know, I'm in Leeds. So it is all, I just want to get to a point first, I think with the program, Again, the cinema's not open yet, so I'm still very much just establishing all of those bits. Mm-hmm. And then we'll start to look at diaspora more as well and expand it in that way with regards to, yeah, like films in the Caribbean. I mean, I, I'm, I'm really into Cuban cinema. So Yeah, yeah, there's some good stuff there. Absolutely. And there's an amazing festival in Scotland again called Havana Glasgow Film Festival, and they are superb. So... Yeah, I don't know. I I guess within my personal programming, I feel like I'll be taking different waves of where my focus is, you know, at a moment in time. So, for example, right now, because of the work I'm doing with uh, Bristol's Film Festival, Mm -hmm. I'm quite focused on that strand. And that strand is... um, uh, global South films centered around women. So there's five films and they're all kind of films from the global South. It's not just African films, like a Cuban film, Venezuelan film, and looking at why the, the barriers of ownership. So the ownership of the film being taken away and returned back to them. All of the films I'm showing have that thread. 
So that's kind of my focus at the moment. And that centers around African work, but wider than that. So it feels like that's what my brain's full of, is looking at the stories behind the films and what's the kind of journey that they've taken. Mm. Whereas, you know, then I can go and do some work with my pal Ezra, who uh, we do Iconic Presents together and we screen queer classics, essentially, or kind of queer culture films that people might have heard of but maybe not seen. Mm-hmm. Uh, things that are heavily referenced in, say, RuPaul, for example, and people go, oh, I keep hearing people talk about it, but I haven't seen it, you know. Mm. So, and then that'll be a kind of particular focus. We'll go down that wave, you know. I think what's really gorgeous about film and film curation is I just feel completely led by what am I interested in right now? What's stimulating me? What do I want to know more about? Because mm. I've got, it's not a bad habit. It's a good habit, I guess. I can't just tween a film. I'm like, I need to read everything yeah. <laughs> around it. When I did my Bob Fosse season, I've got five or five biographies by Bob Fosse. That I was like steaming through because I just wanted to, I just think there's something ex- a film feels like it's just an hour and a half long and that's it and it's done. Whereas actually that film... So much work's gone into it. Like, I want to know everything. Exactly. (laughs) And it just feels good to treat each film as a gift that a lot of, you know, there's a lot of conversation around it. There's so many different elements to it. A lot of work was put into it. How does this film sit in the context of the wider, you know, situation at the time? Mm. I just think it's really nice to kind of deep dive in Mm. the films in a very... um, intensive way and just also have just loads of conversations about it with people mm. okay what's this mean to you what about mm. this element oh this is a bit con- contradictory what what do we think about this you know mm. i just think i'm just particularly excited by it i completely understand yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> i'm completely sympathetic so yeah. um i mean as well uh just finding new forms of cinema like you said you know like sort of discovering cuban cinema and you kind of like because you hear about you know if you sort of as a, as a film person i suppose there's like levels of deepness that you go down mm. um so you know like if you like world cinema then you'll hear about you you'll be like oh well i should watch some iranian cinema like you know when you get beyond france and germany mm. <laughs> so it's like um yeah so and it's just a discovery every new one's like oh my god that was really good what else have they done and then they're like they've copied off someone else so you're like well what did they do and you just could go on forever finding it is literally never ended yeah <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I, I find that i think that's partially why i focus in as well because I, mm. I do find it really overwhelming the idea mm. that you know there are so many films being released every year from mm. all the countries <laughs> in the world mm. And you just think, I find new release exciting, but entirely overwhelming. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel also in the film world, there's a lot of film bros and there's a lot of people who have kind of encyclopedic knowledge that I just mm. feel like I can never compete with because I don't know all the American films. I actually, I've got huge gaps in my knowledge about mm-hmm. quite standard <laughs> American cinema that I feel like I should have seen. But it just didn't appeal. So I just didn't really watch it. And I I feel really, sometimes I have to really kind of tell myself, most of it's okay that you don't know Mm. quite basic things sometimes, but we consider is what we consider is 
you know, the classics, because actually there are other classics, but we've just not really looked at them as mm -hmm. much. So I think that's why I find comfort in specializing and deep diving. And even looking back, I find more comfortable than looking forward because I think at least there's a finite number. I know it is, a, you know, a huge number, but if I kind of go, all right, I'm going to look at um, uh, archive African film from 1950 to 1970. It just makes me feel comforted because I'm like, oh, there's walls. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And then at least, you know, I can feel quite knowledgeable in it. But it is, I have found coming into the sector quite intimidating just because mm. one, it's everybody's sector. You know, it's an art form that most people relate to. Mm -hmm. And then two, there are just people who... I don't really understand how they manage to hold so much the encyclopedic type knowledge about film mm. in their heads. I don't have that in my head. I have it on my letterboxed app. So <laughs> I feel you know, I have it in my notes. Like I know what I feel about stuff, but mm. the 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 facts around it, you know, kind of who directed what, oh, and then that director did all of these things and then, mm. you know, she went on to do this. I just I find that really hard to hold on to. But you remember, you know, you hold the information that you, that's important to you. Of yeah. Like, this is important to me. You know, like if you're an obsessive Star Wars fan, you're kind of like, well, I need to know what all of these animals are called. <laughs> because if someone else questions my knowledge, then I'm weak. Um, <laughs> so it's like, but if that's not important to you, like, you're not going to hold on to it. But if you see a film that, that you're like, that was amazing. Yeah. And you're like you remember that director's name because you're like, what else have they done? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And then if the rest of it's great, then that name sticks because you're going to seek out anything that, that kind of comes across your, your table. Yeah, absolutely. And that's it. And I do find that's the other thing that's great about going in quite deep about a film at a time mm. is then the knowledge is embedded. Do you mm. know what I mean? Because I've been doing so much reading around one particular film and then I'll get very intense about it. So it might be, no, I don't know all of, Scorsese's films, mm. but I am getting very focused on, say, I don't know, Burkina Faso, you know, so it's, mm. it feels, yeah, I think I find comfort in specializing. I find comfort in digging and kind of carving out a space for myself, I guess, in this yeah. massive sector. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it makes total sense to me. Uh, so last question on this kind of area, um, in terms of your reading and kind of you know, finding everything out about the film. Do you wait till after you've seen it or can you not wait? And like, how badly does that or how well does that color the experience of like, have you have you got into a method now where you're like, I can't read everything about it because I've um, my interest is peaked. Now I have yeah. to see it and then I'll check out. It. I think it depends because when it's, when I'm doing the digging, when I'm, when I'm trying to find... I don't know, an African film that's rare or whatever. Ch chances are I will have read about it and around it because I kind of know it exists. And then eventually if I find it, it doesn't feel like it mars the experience because mm. it's more about trying to access it. Mm -hmm. um, so I do a lot of, you know, because I'm reading these books, it lists all these films and I'll kind of get a sense of, you know, what they're about through that. And then when I finally watch them, it doesn't mar it for me. Mm. Um, but then equally, I'll just be, find something, I'll watch it. And then I'll, if it really piques my interest, oh my God, now I need to know more and more and more. So, but the certain films I deliberately try and not watch, but that's more than new stuff. So everything, going back to everything everywhere all at once, I knew that 
it was being talked about in a big way. And I kind of thought, that's enough. I don't need to look into anything about this. Yeah. I'm just going to go watch it. Yeah. You know, I actually, I didn't know what the genre was. I got mm. very confused when it did the kind of shift from drama to action. And I was like, what am I watching? <laughs> and it just, yeah. But I think immediately after the film then, I was, I mean, after going to have a, going to sit in the loos and have a big old weep to myself and just decompress, I was then intensively Ah, need to read everything. Yeah. About, you know, need to read every review. I need to read reviews specifically Asian American film reviewers. I need yeah. to understand this. I need to listen to this podcast. You know, I feel yeah. like if something takes me, you know, I want to get. I want to go in. I want to yeah. really understand about it. So, yeah, but that yeah, and there are film podcasts that I do listen to, but I do I do tend to only listen to episodes about films that I've seen. Mm in film podcast yeah yeah because i want to you know be able to kind of relate the things that people are saying yeah about it yeah 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 so i'm not i'm, I'm not gonna you know continue on that so i could i could equally come back with um we would carry on in this kind of vein <laughs> so i'm gonna move on with questions um yeah. right so i think what i want to go straight from there to is uh social media my my question is around or what, what i want you to be thinking about with this question is so social media it's more and more work media uh it m is part of more and more people's working life yeah. um takes up a good amount of time yeah how much time does that take up for you and is the return on investment that you get from that time worth it for you God, it's such a double-edged sword, isn't it? Social media. I feel like social media for me is work now, basically, mm -hmm. as in my Twitter. I don't do Instagram um, because it's quite intimidated by just seeing images and feeling like I didn't want to get caught into that feeling of my, my life's not enough. I don't really want to see other people's fantastic lives. So I'm happy. <laughs> so I just kind of try to avoid Instagram really, but Twitter is the one that I use and it is basically work. Um, I constantly battle with feeling the need to put out there the things that I'm doing and trying to articulate, find a way to involve people into the processes that I'm going through. And also feeling a huge resistance to speak out into the ether <laughs> and just it feels to me self-indulgent and embarrassing mm. so I'm I'm always battling oh mostly if you don't talk about it people won't know you know yeah. so it, it's I'm trying to find a comfortable voice with it still mm. um when I'm putting on a screening in Leeds you know the hardest thing about it when it's a DIY screening, so it's not kind of through high pop picture house, maybe it's something that Ezra and I will do. And, you know, the hardest bit is just the, the marketing, it's just the socials. That's the bit I want to hand over to someone else and go, please just, I'll run everything else. You just make people come. <laughs> like, have you got an emailing list? Or yeah, we have a, yeah, yeah. I have a mailing list and we, you know, we, we collect new ones every screening and we contact people through that. It just, it feels a little bit like it's about your personal kind of profile, kind of, it's almost, for me, it's beyond each individual screening. It's kind of, 
because I, like I was saying, I feel a pressure to now be present in the sector. You know, I want mm. to be visible and I'm proud of the things that I'm doing and I want to kind of be recognized, but then just putting that energy into how I do that without cringing at myself constantly. Yeah, and you don't want to be visible to the wrong people either. It's like, yeah. Because it is like, it's, it's terrifying on a lot of levels. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. And I really admire, I like, there's a lot of like people on Twitter that I follow that just have such gorgeously authentic and quite funny and light voices, you know, which kind of feeds what they're doing, but they're just kind of spewing out a narrative. But I think I'm just so scared of feeling like looking for the likes or, you know, I, yeah, I don't yeah. mind just putting out what I'm just thinking because yeah. I'm scared that what if nobody likes it and then I feel bad about it. I'm still trying to find a way. I, I keep coming back to the idea of maybe I'll do a, a podcast. So just just again to have be talking about my passions about film in a way that's kind of controlled. But I don't know. I'm still battling with it. I still find it really complicated. And um, but you know, there's so many pros. You know, I feel like I've connected with so many people through socials. Mm -hmm. You know, getting a message in your DMs from someone. I had a really beautiful exchange with Tape Collective who um, did a season all about mixed heritage experience and that was screening in London. And then they did some of the, the screenings online and I watched it and I was so touched by what they'd done. I was so, I was so invested in the messaging and what they were saying. And I kind of was responding on Twitter. You know, I just wanted to tell, I felt an urge, you know, I was like wanting to write a letter. <laughs> and then... <laughs> And then as a result, they were just so pleased that I was having this impact on me. And then we got in touch and then now we did screeners together in Leeds, mm. you know, so it, it is that gorgeous that you've got that access point. Mm -hmm. so you can just directly say to people, you know, oh, this is what I'm thinking of feeling, et cetera. So it is great, but you know, I mean, the, then you just, sometimes I'll scroll, be scrolling and I'm just infinitely jealous and annoyed that I'm not doing as much as everybody else. <laughs> so, so I don't know. I feel very, um, very conflicted about it. Um, I, I'm going to keep going with mm. Twitter and I'm going to stick to one mm. and I'm trying to get better at saying what I'm doing, but I don't have a love for it basically. Yeah. 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 No, it doesn't come easy for me. Yeah. Um, you need a, you need a person for it, don't you? Oh my God. Social media people are the best people in the world. <laughs> They're just people who love it and can think of fun, quirky things. And, you know, I, yeah, there was that great social media account. What was it? The, the Merle, the Museum of English Rural Life. All right. Um, just, a, just a little museum, you know, in England uh, about countryside and rural stuff. This guy who had run the social accounts was so funny, mm. you know, and he just did such a good job of being the voice, you know, a, a really kind of a slightly sarcastic and funny voice of mm. this museum. Uh, obviously, they just let him run with it, you know, and then it just it exploded. And now it's a really popular museum. And, you know, I think it was all based around this one tweet he did of a sheep. And he just said, I'm doing like absolute unit or something like that. And it was just kind of just taking the mickey a little bit about yeah, like yeah. the displays. And I think he now works for the World School School of Art, maybe. I don't know. So it, it, when I've watched stuff like that happen, I think, oh my God, people who have got the knack for it, you know, just mm. 
confidence and just the natural humor and can put mm. that humor into a tweet. I admire it. Yeah. Um, it's just not me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I want to stand at the back, nodding approvingly at the uh, thing I've put together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I want, like, I, honestly, I feel no sweat about putting on, you know, uh, even a complicated logistics operational event. None of that stresses me out, you know, high risk stuff, fine. But getting people to come mm. is all. Putting yourself in front of the camera and going, hello, how are you today? oh yeah i don't know it it is a role it's a thing isn't it it's just interesting that we're all expected but you know it's funny in the arts or in you're expected to do everything and i think that's the thing that's tricky really is it is this very specific role does it not intrigue you as a film enthusiast though of like this opportunity to make films even though they're short i mean is there not a part of you that's like well i could be a filmmaker because you you know you are like if, for social media, you have to be a filmmaker, you know, like a, a broadcaster or a, a, a photographer, a graphic designer, a, yeah, um, voiceover artist, actor, performer, right? <laughs> like, yeah. uh, no, <laughs> 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 I have no desire to become a film. Honestly, I feel like I mean, for the first chunk of my life, I've been working very operationally. I've been. Um, I've been extremely comfortable being the facilitator of other people's ideas. Mm-hmm. So that has been for the first so many years of what I was doing. It was very much, here's me in the background. You tell me a dream. I'm going to make it happen. It's going to be great. You know, that's been my job and I've loved it. Now my thinking is shifting and I've got ideas, but I, I want to, now it's about, I really want to delve into people's ideas. I really want to delve and have, have opinions about it and feel bring my own personal experience and emotional connection to people's ideas Mm. and kind of reflect on that. So that's kind of the shift that I've made. I still don't have a dream to make, you know, to, to Mm. create, I think, I don't know, maybe that'll be me in another 10 years. I don't know, but I just don't feel it. I feel Mm. extremely curious. I think that's the thing that's burning me at the moment is I just want to know. I want to understand. I want to relate to other people. I want to kind of have deep conversations. That's kind of, and that's definitely, you know, that's come out of me delving into film, but also post 2020, it's kind of come from a place of me needing to connect mm. and to kind of understand one another and feel part of something. Mm-hmm. I think, Yeah. That's kind of my motivation at the moment. Mm. But as we know, things can change quite quickly. So mm. Mm. I feel very aware that wherever my career goes, I can't see where it's going at the minute, I'm, but I'm comfortable and I'm excited. <laughs> so that drives me. So I'm going to go to the climate change question based sure. on this. Uh, so I use climate change as a kind of to represent the whole of the various ecological disasters we are involved in currently um and that are accelerating uh yeah so in your work what can you do what are you doing or can you do anything at all or is it even a concern um regarding climate change adaptation mitigation like you know impact reduction uh yeah over to you <laughs> <laughs> um, 
climate change. Yeah. It's one of those topics that I just find it can be so overwhelming if they don't think about it in small chunks. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do go through existential kind of moments where, you know, you just feel like, oh my God, what am I doing? I'm not doing enough. You know, I'm but a tiny little ant in the spectrum of the world and I can't do anything. However, what I do find interesting about climate change is kind of looking at the climate justice element of it and what climate change means in a variety of senses. Um, I think within film, related stuff what's fascinating is the more that we watch um african cinema and cinema that's centering about um living practice how people are kind of engaging with the environment how people respect their environment and there's a lot to be learned about kind of communities that are basically supporting the environment that they're in and then Obviously, there's a wave of films now that's kind of looking at how it's disproportionately affecting different people in different places in the world. I am interested in screening it. I am interested in having conversations about it. Um, I feel like sometimes all I get to do is like awareness spreading rather than direct action. Yeah, I don't know. It's, it's still really, valuable though. It is. It is. It is just that balance, isn't it, of trying to not feel... So overwhelmingly guilty, really. Um, what that, you know, you've made me think of something there. Um, so, you know, the, the the quite often with this question, it's sort of we we're, we're kind of primed to think personal responsibility and kind yeah. of, you know, what we should be doing, and we're not vegan enough, or we're flying too much, or we're not recycling yeah. enough, or we haven't got the bag for life or the lifelong bulb or whatever yeah and then there's the other side which is like yeah but we all know that it needs to change at the kind of systemic level sure but it's also the peer pressure level yes like you know peer pressure is immensely immensely powerful we know that Mm. but then we don't think of like well everyone else is not doing it you know like everybody else is driving or flying or you know yeah setting fire to a forest (laughs) yeah 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 (laughs) so yeah but and it is that sort of yeah look up and kind of push the system but also i mean not like you don't want to be sort of negging all your neighbors and stuff but there is that kind of i think we're starting to see people creating places where people can go and think climate or talk climate yeah it's not that's more than that conversation of like i should be doing more and i feel bad that, oh, yeah that government should change yeah i think there's i can't i don't know it feels to me yeah you're right there's the very personal aspect and kind of you tie it into your head and thinking oh well you know how much are we using my car etc but I kind of, I think when I think broader about it, I think it's attached to all activism that's mm-hmm. about bettering human experience in this mm-hmm. wider sense. Mm-hmm. So I do try and think to myself, as long as I'm focused, as long as everything that I'm doing is coming from a place of wanting to better the environment that I'm in. Mm-hmm. And I don't just mean the physical environment. I mean, raising it like, for example, by committing my time to try and understand to be an activist with regards to, um, filmmakers owning their own films or awareness of films that exist and kind of uplifting 
the African film sector, mm-hmm. you know, there's obviously repercussions that come from that because it's about empowering people and people being able to kind of live their life they want to live and share the things they want to share. And so I do, I, I, my approach with it tends to be because I'm so guided by the things that I'm passionate about mm-hmm. is to ensure that where my passion is leading is benefiting mm-hmm. uh, an environment or somebody else. So, and I'm also really aware that it's so easy to batter yourself about kind of not doing enough. So I think, yeah, I don't know. In my brain, I try and rein it in, I guess, and try and think to myself, you are but one very small, 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 small thing in my lifetime, to my wider lifetime, to the world's kind of lifetime. All I can do is try and ping pong around people and like have a positive impact. and that's all I can do. Mm-hmm. So I am very aware with regards to personal action and work-related actions and we're implementing them. Mm-hmm. But I think that's where I kind of almost have to, unless I'm directly focusing on a type of film or program, et cetera, that's related to that, mm-hmm. I kind of just leave it as part of wider activism of being a good person mm-hmm. because no, I'm not going to protests. You know, I feel like I haven't thoroughly engaged in activism in that way. I am particularly curious about black activism and climate change. And I, there was a beautiful play that I saw. Um, oh God, here we go. Names, names, names. There's a theater company called Complicite, which I think probably the greatest theater company in the world. And they worked with Fenty Belogan. That came back, right? This guy, and he made a piece, um, all about his experience as a black climate activist and how the space wasn't for him mm-hmm. and him trying to convince his mom and his friends and, and also being rejected from this community or having extra fears, for example, not being able to go to a climate justice protest because you think, do you know what? If I'm arrested, this is going to go worse for me. Mm-hmm. So I'm particularly interested in looking at it through that lens. I like looking at it Again, using my passions and my interests to kind of come at it from that angle. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. It's, I think that's a really big question. And I do find myself having to battle with trying not to kind of feel bad and just kind of remind myself, you can only do what you can do. And as long as we're talking about it and on, in both my kind of workplaces, it is very visible, you know, mm-hmm very ingrained into all mm-hmm. of our thinking. Hyper picture house is becoming a new building. You know, that is in the process. We're mm-hmm. very much thinking about when we're kitting out our new cafe type bar, you know, mm-hmm. all of the elements that come through that. Everyone's thinking about it with an environmental mindset. Mm-hmm. Now, because I think we work in a sector which is particularly alive to um, impact on other people, you know, in the arts and cultural sector, we're quite good for, you know, thinking ethically so it is there it's embedded you know that people are thinking about it so I can kind of relax it's not like I feel like I have to be complaining to my management because Mm -hmm. we're um you know we have poor waste output or whatever I feel like Mm -hmm. things are in hand so Mm -hmm. it kind of alleviates that pressure to feel like you have to be an immediate activist in my surroundings but it just then comes into my curational thinking I guess Mm -hmm. sometimes (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I mean, I like that. That's exactly what I was going to say as you were as you were sort of talking. Then, as I 
well, it sounds like it's already embedded anyway. And then you just, you know, you said it, so I don't have to say it. So. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> it's just keeping it, and it's just at the forefront, isn't it? I think it just, we can't help it. It's a but you have to do that by design, don't you? It's kind of like, if it's an afterthought, it's always going to be an afterthought because it's not, you know, it's like, it's like marketing. If it, any organization or any business, if marketing is an afterthought, yeah, then you're kind of losing because it's got to be, you got to be doing it all the time. It's got to be part of, you know, regular business. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, yeah, always like, for example, yeah, always thinking about the audience first. You know, it's that kind of just thinking about the process of everything. Yeah. Yeah. I, th- I mean, we're in a, it feels like we're in a good place in that. I mean, I know Leeds is particularly good. Do you know what I mean? With regards to its climate activism, um, we're really connected with Sale as well, Sustainable mm-hmm. Arts in Leeds, who've just been so brilliant and really mm-hmm. good help. So it feels, I know it doesn't feel enough always, but it also does feel good. You know, people are doing what they can. You know, it's, that's just a campaign against the rich, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Um, or perhaps do even more. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So where have we gone? All right, let's do Brexit. Um, sorry. Uh, I, I mean, it's through a work lens. It's... Um, yeah, so we've we've Brexited. Has it changed your work at all? Have you noticed any change? Um, I guess the main difference I've noticed is with regards to our international community, mm-hmm. I guess, and being able to connect with people and how we work together. I feel like I'm going to feel it more and more as time goes on, to be honest with you. I think we're very much at the start of it because the world is just more opened up again more recently because of COVID. I do feel like there's worse to come with regards to Brexit that we just haven't quite seen. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I don't know. It's one of those ones where every time you learn something new or you see a new shortage of something, you kind of go, all right, here we go. This is where it is. But I do think, I do think, at the moment, I haven't quite seen the worst of it. Do you know what I mean? It's one of those things that existentially I feel terrible about. I feel very embarrassed whenever I go to Has it affected anything for you? I mean, has it kind of like, has it made anything, I mean, has it made films even harder to get hold of? Has it? Yeah, I think with regards to in a really physical sense, postage, you know, takes longer. Yeah, I suppose because you, you're not going to have digital exhibition packages for like... Well, African. you do for some. Yeah, for modern all. ones. But yeah. like if you're tracking down like classic or, you know, early African cinema, it's yeah. like it's yeah. not going to be... Unless yeah. it's a big name one that they've yeah. sort of worked I guess the main point about that is that because we're not in our cinema at the moment, we're yeah. doing screenings outside. It means yeah. that we're, we're screening off DCP mm. or doing digital screenings and they can mostly be downloaded. Some are posted. Mm. When we reopen the cinema, we'll have our 35 mil and 16 mil projector. And then that's when the things will be sent more physically. Mm. So I guess at the minute, I haven't seen it as much. However, the other beauty of Hyde Park Picture House is that there's a team, you know, and there is people. I'm not receiving the films directly. Mm. I mean, the luxury of my job is I get to go kind of go, oh, I've got an idea, I'm going to put it in place. And then Mm. we've got a team and we all work together to implement it. So I don't really see the the process elements of Mm. the the postage, et cetera. But I do know... We aren't seeing the most of it at the moment. And when we get back to full cinema working and we're kind of working around this 35 mil, I think that's when we'll see 
the main bulk of that. I'm trying to think of any other kind of direct examples, really, with regards to restrictions. I think I've seen some issues with regards to visas and with amongst my uh, colleagues and friends that work in festivals. And yeah, if you run yeah. events and stuff and you yeah, want to type people. Yeah, hard to bring people over. Mm. Uh, there's a big loss of funding. Mm-hmm. You know, I think not having access to Creative Europe yeah. has made a big difference. I know yeah, yeah, that's yeah. really impacted Leeds International Film Festival when I was mm-hmm. working with them. Budgets have just changed, you know. There's big holes in people's budgets. Yeah, It feels like there are some really... Yeah, it feels like the financial loss and the last loss of kind of movement is the thing that's difficult. Not impossible. I think, you know, we will work around it. It's just frustrating, mm-hmm. you know? And yeah, I don't know. It's it's one of those things I do feel like we're just touching, that we're just starting to yeah. see it. Yeah. You know what I mean? I think I'm ready to be told suddenly, my God, you can't do this thing. Why? Oh, because of this change. And then realize, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then there's a whole... New thing to think about, but I don't know. I think I feel less panicked about it currently because so far I've kind of seen workarounds. Um, it's just, it's more when I go to international film festivals or I'm speaking with people, it's just embarrassment really. Cause it's always kind of the people eventually always turn around to you and go, so Brexit, what's going on? And you're like, I'm sorry. Well, we're going to have to get get used to it because it's not going to get any better. Exactly. So <laughs> it's just that embarrassing thing, really. Yeah. But I mean, I don't know, in the picture of world affairs at the moment, everything's bonkers. So it mm. feels like it's not really been at the forefront of my mind because there are just so many crises that are kind of more mm. in our faces, mm. impending war and current war and migration and and the next war and then yeah yeah and that's it and just all of the rising racism homophobia transphobia there's just a lot of things mm. so the rise of the like, right mm. yeah i feel like brexit is definitely kind of filed down on my list just because i can't see it it doesn't feel as scary as some of the other things that's going on at the moment yeah the shortening of life expectancy. Yeah, the, rising living costs. Yeah, rising mortality rate, um, you know, uh, falling standards of living, increasing mm. inequality. Yeah, we could go on. Yeah, burnout, burnout. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, um, I mean, you know, this is, each of these subjects, it's like, the, you know, COVID as well. It's like we're, the, we're it's still going to be around at the end of this decade. We will be talking about all of these things all of this decade. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you wouldn't know that from the way that the media presents anything. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's here. It's amongst us. This is where we're at. I think we just have to be really kind to each other. Mm. We have to allow space. I think in a work context, I think one of my biggest concerns is a lack of recognition that we're all hanging on by a thread. Mm. you know and it feels people aren't really aware like there's no proper awareness of just how bad things really are everyone's kind of got like oh i can see the edge of the curtain and it doesn't look good around there they've had (laughs) really bad experiences and they are having bad experiences but it's kind of like no it's worse yeah worse (laughs) yeah and i just think that i don't know what scares me i guess is that we're not slowing down enough to Mm. kind of just make a bit, a bit of 
bit, a better bit of care, I think. It scares me that because we've been preoccupied by lack of activity due to COVID and the sense that we need to catch up, get back into get back in shape, back in order, makes me nervous that we're not really recognizing how hard the transition has been and how hard you know, it is to get back to where you are. Well, we're all different people. We've been through a lot. Mm -hmm. I've seen some really brilliant kind of examples of companies kind of saying, like, we're just going to close for August, for example. Do you know what I mean? We're just going to have like an extended summer, like mm. not taking up people's holidays, just cl just really allow the space. I don't yeah. know many people really, the people that I speak to, my friends, and we're all tired. <laughs> very, very tired. Mm -hmm. And that doesn't mean you're not high functioning and productive, mm -hmm. but it just, the, 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 the sense of kind of, are we okay? Mm. It just feels like consistently, no, we're not, but we're still doing what we're doing. Yeah. Well, it's, it's like that sort of, you know, uh, to call it, you know, to use shit terms, um, like that sort of, check-in culture or check-in mentality it's kind of it's really good yeah you definitely need to check in on people and stuff but it's also like you know you don't stand in the middle of the motorway and and you know where you're doing a crossing or whatever and say to your mate are you all right you know it's like <laughs> yeah 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 it's, it's like you, you need to make sure people are all right but then the best people aren't going to be all right if you don't ca take care of the huge looming threat or start yeah. working on it so that people are busy and they feel that they're doing something so it's yeah. that yeah you know it's kind of like oh well you know is everybody okay so you could kind of oh well you know we all had a big break with covid and stuff and it was like well yeah and no it's also <laughs> like massively traumatic and everybody was affected and it was yeah. a really weird event yeah and it's still having massive repercussions and yeah, yeah. again i'm i wit wrong phrases so no no i, I think and also on top of that, like, let's just not forget how intense 2020 was and like mm -hmm. the repercussions amongst the black community mm -hmm. of like the intense trauma, the heightened awareness of organizations to then respond. And mm -hmm. then the onus on black people to have to talk about what they're thinking and feeling or give advice and just bring their lived experience to work in a really visible way. Mm -hmm. That is, that is, I mean, I know that I hadn't done that before, you know, I've never really brought race into work in that way i felt mm. like it was a blooming big learning curve for me mm. and i wasn't prepared for it and felt like i've been strapped into a roller coaster that i just didn't want to be on yeah yeah and you just think okay we're still dealing with the repercussions of that well they just it just feels like there's very little space to breathe mm. and i just feel i'm scared that we're going to become accustomed to these burnout kind of stress-related feelings and they're going to be perpetuated into new mental health conditions. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when you, you know, work-related stress just becomes stress, mm -hmm. you know? And I don't know, I, I just have a fear that we're all pretty overwhelmed. And I, I am speaking very personally, but I am also speaking off the basis of the people around me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's just a lot, just a lot. lot. <laughs> and there's no respite because it's not going to get any better. It's, yeah. it's kind of like, so, so where do we go? I mean, this was something that I, I wanted to kind of touch upon when we were doing the kind of film chatting, yeah. um, like in terms of, you know, it's good to, and, and you mentioned some of that, you know, sort of seeing things within their own environment and different types of environment in some of the African cinema that you mentioned earlier. Uh, but I feel like there's this, there's, 
and you, like you said, there's some stuff starting to come through, but there's no like visions, not only of of a positive future, but just of the reality of now. Mm-hmm. Of, like, so the 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 only thing that I can really kind of think of comes immediately to mind is like you know within Parasite at the end with the the flooding and stuff, and it's like mm-hmm. that that struck me because it was like look you know now i'm actually starting to see it in in film and cinema so you know it's like some water world thing or some other thing where you know or even ai the end of ai where you you sort of new york's underwater Mm. and it's like and that that's all gonna happen like we know london and new york are going to be underwater Mm. and nobody's acting like this like this is pretty much gonna be an inevitability at this point sort of thing and it's like you know, millions of people in these places and nobody's thinking about that. It's like, what are you going to do with them when they move? Not just like, never mind everything else everywhere else. Yeah. It's like, you can't, you have to start dealing with it now because yeah, it's just going to be overwhelming. But I think that's the, uh, yes to that. But I think there's two, there's always like two opposing forces, isn't there, in your brain of kind of, why aren't we panicking? Yeah. And also, what can I do? Yeah. You know, and I, I do think that my comfort place is truly just to, it's like when you, have you ever seen those kind of websites where you can like zoom in and in and in and in and out and out and out and out? Mm. Where it's kind of, you look at, you know, an ant in space and yeah, things yeah. Like that. My comfort place is to think about me and my life and my existence as a speck, you know, on this spectrum. Mm-hmm. And I can, yes, I can feel bad about the things that are going to happen in the future. Whereas our, just humans' existence is so small in the planet's existence. What annoys me about climate change is we talk about protecting the environment. Mm. The environment will live on. It's about people. Mm. Do you know what I mean? And I think it's, we need to recenter the conversation. So we're looking at how do we protect our society? How do we protect our people? Mm. Because the, the environment, the world, you know, will evolve and it will change and it will exist on, but will exist without us. So I think it's more about how do we protect our survival mm. and our neighbor's survival and survival and the people on the other side of the planet, you know, mm. it, I think that is more, that for me feels more sensible because then we're bringing it in to kind of uh, focus on what we can do. But I think protecting the, I don't know, there's something about that kind of narrative that I find quite troubling because of the fact that I think of me and the spec and our humanity as uh, a tiny period of time mm. and all we can do is try and maintain our period of time mm-hmm. and the kind of the span of life mm. and so but I, I, I that's where I kind of go back to when I instead of worrying too much about far far in the future I try, again just try and think I can be a good person I can try and have positive impact and make change and then if I don't I don't because going back again for the third time to everything everywhere all at once mm-hmm. <laughs> the <laughs> philosophy of that that nothing really matters yeah, yeah. You know? and you kind of all you can do is deal with what you've got and we're in an extremely p- privileged position mm. in being where we are mm. and the fact that we have the ability to make change and we're one of the least effective places about climate change and the environment and we can have an impact so i think okay well then let's use what power that we have and do what we can but also know that we're limited do you know what i mean but we do have people power and i do believe in all of that but yeah i don't know i just always have to bring it back to me and my little speck and kind of knock on effects and being a good person because 
it's just too existential. My brain can't cope. It's too delicate right now. <laughs> mm. I'm going to do UBI first, I think. Uh, so if there was a universal basic income, would you still work? If you were still working, would you still do the same job? And um, how do you think it would change your attitude to work and working if it was around? Uh, I guess, firstly, I'm lucky that I enjoy all the things that I do. Mm-hmm. Um, but if there was a universal basic income, it would change what I did. Mm-hmm. Um, I love supporting other people and putting on their film screenings and building community, building the community, uh, the DIY film sector. So I would allocate more time to be able to support other people in their endeavors for sure. Um, but I'd still be engaged in the same topics that I'm in. I'd just probably do it a bit less, I think, or just, I'd feel maybe I'd had more space to do it. Um, even if there was more to do because there was more filmmaking going on, because there was more of these frustrated filmmakers who could be like, right, I can do it now. And then, and then you're like, oh, I can help you. Yeah. Uh, You might have more work to do, but. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's it, I guess. You need to see what the true repercussions of that would be. I do think, I think it's fair. I think it's fair and it feels like a logical thing to do. I do believe in it. Um, I would basically, I'm just so lucky that I'm just guided by the things that I love and my passions. So it just would be the same thing, but Mm -hmm. it would just be done differently. Mm -hmm. Um, I would love to have more time to watch and to read. Mm-hmm. I feel like at the minute it's definitely crammed into the in-between spaces. I'd love more time to just be able to reflect. Mm. Um, so I think for me, it's just about, it would be creating more space mm. around the things I'm doing because right now I'm very go, go, go. I'm mm. delivering and it's fine because I'm quite a high functioning person, but I can feel that it's a strain. Mm-hmm. So I think it would, it, yeah, yeah. Basically the same stuff, but just less of it <laughs> or more contained. More of the same, but less and better. Yeah, exactly. I Rather than more of the same, but worse. Done. Do you know what I mean? I think when we think that we're doing a lot because we're working a lot, but we're not because you're not, you know, I, I remember when I first went into the arts and because I was came from a very operational mindset. Mm-hmm. I like procedure. I like fine tuning things. I like to make things slicker. First way I'm going into art, I was thinking, why are we all I was why are we all doing things this way? When yeah. why am I doing the same tasks every year? Mm-hmm. It takes me this long to do. Whereas actually I could just spend that time to make a fix the problem mm-hmm. and we don't have to do it again. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what I mean? I'm very I like fine tuning. I like process. So and I think there is a bit of an absence of that sometimes in the creative industries or places where people are passionate about things because there's quite a lot of creative folk who are delivering. But we need people who have that kind of mindset to go, great, you know the thing that you're doing, that's fab. How about if we did it in this way and then you've got more time to think about it and then the kind of the admin behind it is slicker. Mm-hmm. Because the private sector and the corporate sector, they're really good at, you know, efficiency and trying to make things because they're motivated by capitalism right they're motivated by mm. um the 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 rewards of that whereas we're kind of our rewards is is the creative output mm. which we try not to be you know have a capitalist focused mm-hmm. although it does um 
So sometimes I think that efficiency gets left behind and efficiency is a good thing because it allows space to be able to do the creative stuff. Mm-hmm. So I can't even, I don't even remember how I got onto that. <laughs> We're on UBI. Yeah, yeah. Okay, exactly. So I just think taking away the burden of, and the stress of um, not being able to provide, doing the most, doing the most, doing the most. And just providing more space for people to reflect and truly do what they want to do and give people things. I mean, people love volunteering. People love giving their time. People love contributing to their society. Mm. But it's so hard to do that. Well, and also what's wrong with just sitting on your ass? Like, that's valid. Like, it's fine. I mean, if you were, you know, you you, you work in the field to get get your food sort of thing and then you finish the day's work and you sit on your bum you know you didn't have any books you didn't have any tv you didn't necessarily have any pubs like it's fine that's a valid pastime for any creature on this planet to just like chill you know? yeah 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 absolutely <laughs> and i do think i think because we need people doing less i have a strong feeling yeah. about this but also I, I just think i mean going back to climate change during the covid period when i had more space I was like, I was doing my food shop in several spaces. You know, I was going to the green grocer and then mm. I'd go to the refill place because mm. I could, because mm. I had time. Mm-hmm. As soon as work started again, no, I'm going to Aldi. I'm doing yeah. everything in one go. Creating you know I mean? masses of landfill. Yeah. And it yeah. was like, I realized, oh my God, if I actually had the space to be doing it, I want, I want to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, and it is, it can be cost efficient, not all the time. But you need the time to be able to go in around different places to buy mm. things in different spaces, et cetera. Mm. You just cannot do that if you're working every day, you've got kids running around, you know. I just think if we had more space, we'd be able to do the things we actually want to do. We'd be reaching better potential, like mm. the everyday person. And yes, and they can sit on their bum as well. Mm. <laughs> but like, I just think people are interested in their surroundings. People want to be involved. But if mm. you're exhausted, you come home from work, just want to sit and do nothing because mm. you're exhausted. It's very different to sitting and reflecting and then using your time. Absolutely. For, uh, for the better of society. Mm. Yeah. The change question. Um, and I know we haven't really talked about any of your other roles much, and that's really my fault because I should have brought us back, but I got too excited about the film stuff. Um, so if there were any three things that you could change about your work, so, you know, I would maybe try and include all of your roles here. Um, what would they be? Uh, is there any three things I could change about my work? That's a challenging question because I enjoy them all. I enjoy the people. Sometimes it's hard to criticize your work when you enjoy it and it, when you're very emotionally invested in it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the things that I would change, okay, right. One really tangible thing that I would change about my work is I would like to be surrounded by more black people. I feel really alone mm-hmm. and sometimes carrying the weight of conversations that we're having about trying to be more inclusive in work. And <laughs> kind of like, yeah, 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 sure. Yeah, I'm, like, like, yeah. Empty rhetoric. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we should be. Oh, yeah, I'll, I'll help do the work to help that happen. And, you know, because <laughs> I want, because I need it. But yeah. also, it's exhausting. So that's probably the biggest thing that I would change 
And I am doing that, you know, I'm making more spaces for myself, to be honest. So um started something, uh, Globe Majority Affinity Group, which is kind of just a collection of people who also work in the performing arts, who are um, of the Globe Majority and essentially just have informal spaces to kind of, I don't want to say bitch, but basically just kind of a safe place to kind of go, oh, you know, and they said this and they said, you know, just a space where you can kind of just talk, you know, very freely. Um, so I'm trying to make those spaces because I don't have them necessarily in my workplace. That's been very, and that's also what Black Cinema Project was. It's kind of, let me make the space that I don't have. Um, but yeah, I think that's the biggest thing that I would change. The second thing is probably about pay. I'm permanently frustrated that in the creative industries, um, we're bamboozled into thinking that our uh, a low wage is a good wage mm-hmm. <laughs> and that we should be grateful for what we're getting because we're doing something that we love. Doing something that you want to do. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You should be paid nothing at all. You should <laughs> yeah. pay us to work. You know how lucky you are. You could be working in Tesco. <laughs> like, I know, I know. So it's just that. Per- and just, and then the mindset that it puts you in, that you, our ceiling of what a good wage is, is laughable in comparison yeah. to other yeah. sectors. Yeah. So that I find permanently frustrating and having to argue it mm. and not, it's being very deeply uncomfortable. It's a really deeply uncomfortable conversation to have in any workplace. But I think particularly when you're in spaces where you love the people that you work with and mm. you love what you do, it's really hard to complain mm. uh, about that. So, and you know, it was an ongoing thing when I was doing freelancing and just kind of demanding more money essentially. And then mm. people go, well, now we're going to go with somebody else because uh, we want to pay them the same rate that we've been paying this role for the last 10 years, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's just, yeah, I think I'm permanently frustrated about that on behalf of all of us. Um, not necessarily just myself. And then, yeah, the only other thing I'd change is probably I'd love a more wider sector recognition that we need to slow down and um, give all of us more space to deal with the trauma of the last three years, three Mm. years. And yeah, I think it'd be great if the sector all came together and went, right, okay, cool. The wider government isn't kind of providing this kind of support system. Mm -hmm. So we're just all going to slow down or we're all just going to like collectively fight together to do less, Mm. which I know is a big ask. And I know it's more of a radical side. I think it's, but I don't know. I don't know. I just think it's exactly like you said about the motorway thing. It's um, unless we kind of make the motorway one lane <laughs> rather than <laughs> five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Cross. Uh, yeah. Um, I won't go off on another ta- one of my tangents. Um <laughs> So I think that's pretty much all my questions. I will put the union question to you quickly. Um, so basically just what what is your experience of them? Have you ever been involved or have you ever been asked to be in a union? Um, yeah, so just yeah, quickly. I'm in the re- process of rejoining uh, my union because I've made the transition from freelance to paid work. Mm. I believe in them, so I'm joining it mostly because I believe in it and I want to uh, support the union, not because I necessarily think 
that I'm worried that something would go wrong, but I do recognize you should have it in place because you never know. Mm. <laughs> um, so I feel, yeah, I'm rejoining for the purpose of, it's just because I think we should just all be in them as standard. Mm. They should mm. just be a part of every day. Mm. Um, but yeah, I've not had to use a union in the past for disputes. Um, I have directed a lot of people who ha are having disputes to unions. Mm. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think what frustrates me is what I've noticed is there's a lack. When I've been looking more at film work, Mm -hmm. It feels there's a lack of kind of union activity around film curators and programmers. There's been a lot of like public activity at the minute about programmers being sacked from jobs and um, not being protected and happening at different film festivals around mm -hmm. the world. And it kind of just strikes me that I don't really know where our collective power is. It's a weird kind of job in that it's like a really highly desirable job to be a film mm. programmer. So it kind of feels like there's always someone willing to take the space. Mm. So I think that's part of the reason why it's quite hard to unionize. But I'm noticing, I, I just, I've been trying to find information about where is this collective power? How are we all bonded together? How are we all talking to each other? And I just don't really... I'm just struggling to find it at the minute, I guess. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking like I don't even know who would like what what union Well it's Beck two, I think is the Yeah, I was gonna say is it Beck two? Yeah, yeah Beck Beck two is kinda of, Beck two covers both the jobs that I have in theatre and uh, yeah. film, it covers both of them, but it talks a lot about production backstage. Because it, yeah, it's a, well, it was it was it's broadcast originally, wasn't it? Broadcast yeah. and something else, can't remember. Um, yeah, so, remember, but right. <laughs> yeah, that's it. To join, so yeah, I'm I'm, I'm rejoining back two, and yeah, I, I but I have just been asking them questions really because I've you know I've had some exchanges with them where I've just been trying to understand more about okay if I am rejoining how is my particular role in this instance covered who who am I connected with you know what I mean just understand a bit more about that so mm. I'm in that process at the minute of trying to because you know if it turns out Beck 2 wasn't the right one I might go to but I just, there just isn't an alternative <laughs> I can see yeah, so I'm going to pass it over to you. If there's anything that you want to talk about that we've not touched upon, anything, um, or you remember any of my questions that I forgot to ask, uh, <laughs> if there's anything that you want to chat about that we've not covered, anything that you want to uh, kind of flag up or over to you, basically. Yeah, uh, I guess one of the things I'd just like to flag up is just awareness, really, about Scalarama Leads, because yes. I do think yeah. it's a, just a brilliant initiative essentially it's a collection of people who we support other people to put on their own film screenings so it's kind of demystifying the process what does it mean to kind of put on a film screening and license we've got loads of resources and there's been a huge boom in uh, different little film clubs in the city post lockdown mm -hmm. which is fantastic and really exciting and when Scalarama festival happens in September it's essentially just a showcase of everyone who is putting on films everybody puts one on in September and we promote it as one so I would just push people to the Scala Rama Leeds socials which is at Scala Rama Leeds um, and just to kind of follow their activity and support DIY screenings because it's mm -hmm. essentially the more wider range of people that are putting on films the wider range of films there are available to see mm -hmm. it means we're not just constricted to 
the indie, you know, the High Park Picture House or your view, you know, all the Leeds International Film Festival. There's a huge plethora of films in the world. And we get to, if you want to put on a film, anyone out there, you know, you can just do it. And I just think it's really exciting. I think more people should be uh, doing it themselves. So yeah, engage with that. And then the other thing is that I'm just really excited. Obviously the cinema is going to be reopening, which is going to be exciting. Um, that'll be this autumn. Uh, 2022 and yeah I just really really love if more people came to watch the African films that we're going to be showing which is going to be in a range of genres so it'll be your documentary your kids films new releases family films uh, horror films mm. you know all the genres mm. but I just think if I don't know I would just love for that to do well with regards to all different types of audiences and just mm -hmm. for more people to expand their mind about mm -hmm. what is available and what's life like on the African continent in all its varieties and beauty mm -hmm. so yeah just plug in Cinema Africa Are there any like um, sort of uniquely African genres that, are, that you've kind of like discovered through this? That's a really good question um, I mean, I think, like I said before, the kind of political uh, layered activism type cinema, which is kind of centered around revolution. I think that's really exciting. That kind of complicated and nuanced cinema that's saying a lot, but it's kind of disguised. In more Does it all end up being really academic -y terms of like, so it's kind of like periods of time or like, you know, oh, the Burkina Faso, like you need something catchy, like a new wave or uh, like, is there anything like that? Yeah, uh, I mean, it's a, the continent's big, so every single mm. country has its own, do you know what I mean, moments in time, mm. like, yeah, like yeah. there are new waves in the yeah, different yeah. countries. Yeah. As a continent, it feels really hard to kind of talk about it in that way mm -hmm. because it's not a country. So it, mm -hmm. it, I think essentially... It has its own um, uh, journey, actually, that which is quite, you know, consistent, which is the colonized period and revolutionary and then post-colonialism. So there is that kind of wave of activity that it can, you can see across the board. But mm. um, I, I don't know, beyond that, I find it hard to kind of find a commonality because it's so varied. You know what I mean? Even by region by region, you know, mm. if you just look at North Africa, actually the cinema work there, Egypt, you know, just churns them out and it's yeah, been yeah. really prevalent. It's been yeah. some excellent films for a long time. Like so, which is very different from Southern Africa. And so, yeah, I think it's really hard to categorize in that way. Oh, what's up? But there's a fun, oh, it just occurred to me. There's a fun genre that I discovered. Oh, something pop, pop film. Pop, God. I'm trying to think. I think it might be Kenyan. Mm. Um, oh God, I think I remember reading something. The filmmaker who did Rafiki, Rafiki is that the film? My God, my brain. The French one. No, oh, no, no. no. Um, Rafiki. That Kenyan, rings a bell. Uh, there's a Kenyan film which came out, which is a queer film. Um, it did really. That's, I've just said Rafiki. It's absolutely not that. Oh. <laughs> um, hang on, hang on. So basically, it's this film. It's a queer kind of love story, um, and essentially, it is Rafiki. Mm. <clears throat> yes. So, uh, bubble cup, bubble bubble gum pop films. 
it's coming back to me. So essentially, the filmmaker who did this film is kind of saying, we need more um, bubbly, light African mm. cinema mm-hmm. that's kind of, again, that refocus away from trauma and struggle, mm-hmm. but just kind of like the light, bubbly kind mm-hmm. of side of it. Um, which I think is really interesting. And I wanted to, that's on my list to delve into that at some point. Um, but yeah, so there are subgenres, which is kind of coming from different countries and different regions. Yeah. But, it, you know, there's so much, but that's, what, that's why I'm really excited that High Pop Picture House has given me this platform. And a, the, the best thing about it is that it's permanent. Yeah. You know, we're kind of in a rebranding at the moment. And we've got all these different film strands from the documentary, the, Creatures of the Night, which is, you know, that your horror and your children's and mm. Cinema Africa is a part of that. Mm. So it will be a regular occurrence in the mm. cinema. So I think it's, for me, it's a long term thing and it's about building the audience and starting with kind of access points, which we might be able to recognize better and then diverting and showing these different genres, interrogating them, contextualizing them, mm-hmm. which I think is really important. I think the introductions beforehand, I've been really enjoying just talking a little bit about that particular country's film sector and kind of, oh, what's going on, you know, in this place at this time that this film was made and just giving the audience a little bit more to go on. So it's not, it's not so much you're watching it, you're comparing it against, I don't know, French new wave, you know, et cetera, et cetera. So it's, it, for me, it's very important that it stands alone and it's contextualized in its own, uh, world. Mm-hmm. So yeah, Milieu. <laughs> yeah. It's got, I've got ideas. You know, it's going to be happening, but it is a process, and I'm not expecting it to be perfect from the start. I'm very much aware that we need to kind of grow into it and build the audience and get a trust. You know that there's because mm. it's not going to be not it's not going to be for everyone, but it's also every film is so different and every genre is different, every country is different. So it's kind of just saying give it a chance and find where is your interest within this wider African, um, within the continent, do you know what I mean? Find mm. your niche within mm. that. Just like anything, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Thank you again to Mosa for being my guest. Thanks again to all my guests. And thanks to you, Leeds, for being my subject. And of course, most of all, thanks to you, my dear listener. Come back next week to hear me talk to a PR professional. So, yeah, you can hear traffic in the background because the windows are open, because it's hot. Um, And that's all I'm going to say about that. Uh, Again, all the usual, share, rate, review, pass it around, big it up, listen to it, come on the show, help out, do us a favour, everything. Um, Okay, that's me. Cheers, ears. Take care out there and be kind to each other, Leeds. If you're listening to this, I assume you have some connection to Leeds, like living here or being from here. If you're such a person in Leeds or from Leeds and you haven't done your recording for working hours yet, then don't wait. Email me now, right now. Quick, get a pen. Workinghourspod at western-studios.com If you fancy being my guest, put guest in the subject line of your email and add a short bio in the message. Stick in some suggestions of your availability and I'll send you a release form and a Zoom invite. If you'd like to be on working hours, I will need a two-hour window for us to record in. I can record in your work time or during your downtime. I have been recording interviews for working hours for every year on Zoom, but I can also record offline. 
You can appear on Working Hours anonymously, or you can promote yourself and or your company or brand, cleaner or owner. What is your experience? How do you feel about work? What do you like and not like? What do you do, Leeds? Be a part of local history. Have your voice heard. Share your wisdom. Give us the inside skinny. This is your show, Leeds, and it's all about what you make of yourself. Do you know what you're doing? If you do, then come and tell me all about it. Come on Working Hours, even if you don't know what you're doing. I certainly don't. Email me right now. Quick, get a pen. WorkingHoursPod at western-studios.com. If you're allowed to do that, that is. If you're not allowed to do that, then tell me why. If you and your business aren't ashamed of what you do, then let's hear all about it. What good are you doing the rest of us? Are you socially useful? Am I? Is this? Send your feedback, questions, comments, and queries right now to WorkingHoursPod at western-studios.com. What is happening, Leeds? Find out by following this show on Twitter at Working Hours 3 and on Instagram at Working Hours Pod Leads to find out when new episodes are going to be released. Or just use the hashtag hash Working Hours Pod Leads on either of those sites to find me. I'm on Facebook, facebook.com forward slash Western underscore studios underscore leads. I'm also on LinkedIn, linkedin.com forward slash IN forward slash Simon hyphen Treen. Treen is T R double E N. Or you can go to my company page, which is linkedin.com forward slash company forward slash Western hyphen studios. If you want to make a podcast in Leeds, whether it's for a cause, a publicity campaign, a product promotion, or your own passion project, then get in touch with me, Western Studios, for support, advice, and guidance on anything podcasts. At Western Studios, you work with a real life lawyer who is actually in Leeds, who you can actually work with on making podcast content. So don't wade through articles and videos and podcasts about how to make podcasts. Just get on with it. Western Studios can make your podcast with you or even for you. Western Studios can take on your podcast's boring, time-consuming and painful admin, recording, editing, transcription, whatever. Tell me about it. I feel your pain. For a charge, I'll share it. Writers, what are you doing with your lives? Hopefully you're writing. Well, I know there are listeners out there who want to hear great original writing performed as audio content and made in Leeds. How do I know this? Because I'm one of them. Help me make Muck for Brass, a series of short stories, poems, performers, whatever, all published as podcast content. Is your work arty, salacious, pulpy, strange? Good. I want to make it a podcast. I get practice making the show. And you get a finished, performed and published version of your writing. Businesses, campaigns, brands, got an inkling that you'd like a podcast but don't know where to start. Hit me up at makemypodcast at western-studios.com and we'll start making your podcast straight away. The first hour of arranged consultation and pre-production time is free. So what do you have to lose? And what are you waiting for? Save yourself the hassle and the headache and make your podcast with a Leeds-based, in real life, podcast producer that's me western studios leads once again please let working hours get big and strong by joining its patreon support working hours by becoming a champion on patreon for a pound a month you can inspire me and motivate me with a membership and maybe one day even be helping to cover all my costs you can chat to me there and see me do a monthly live stream where again you can chat to me all about the show and god do i need to find someone to actively share this project with go to patreon.com forward slash working hours pod right now and sign up please and or go to kofi that's ko hyphen 
fi.com forward slash working hours and join me there for a pound a month and get access to the working hours discord and chat to me there. I will be putting up additional material on Kofi once there are any members there. Please do remember to like, share, follow, and subscribe to this show. Every little bit helps. Tell your grand, tell your housekeeper, tell your gardener, tell your parole officer, tell your boss, tell leads, and I'll see thee next time, our kid. Working Hours is presented, edited, and recorded by Simon Treem for Western Studios Leeds Limited. The music was The Bees from Chopin's Etudes, which is in the public domain and was taken from museopen.org.